A new dawn is coming to the U.S. stock market, and it's time to throw out the investment blueprint of the last decade and prepare for a massive shift. If you've lost money over the past two years, this changes everything. Hi, my name is Mark Chaikin, and I was hired to create three new indices for the NASDAQ based on what I've learned in 50 years on Wall Street. So believe me when I tell you this shift could send dozens of stocks soaring sky high in just the next 90 days. But this is an extreme setup I haven't seen in years, since before the 2020 crash. The last time this happened, you could have more than tripled your money by just owning one stock. And I'm revealing this number one stock to buy today, 100% free of charge at newaistock.com. The question is why? Because everyday Americans will be impacted mostly by what's coming. And I want you to be on the right side of the table when this shift happens. Don't delay. Just visit www.newaistock.com. Hey, if you want a firearm that is easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. Now, it is a portable rifle that you can put together, take apart in just minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case that it comes in. It's so small, you can store it pretty much anywhere. And it's light enough to carry everywhere. Now it comes in black and two different camo patterns, and you can pick one up for three to four hundred bucks depending on the finish. Check out their videos. Go to their website. It's one word, henryusa.com slash survival. And while you're there, make sure you order their free catalog. Now Henry makes more than two hundred rifles and shotguns and revolvers, all made in America, all backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website, henryusa.com. Get their free catalog. They'll send you free decals and a list of dealers where you are. That's henryusa.com. Free catalog decals for the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that can be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today. The day of 9-11, I was actually off and had to go in. My husband was also a reporter. We were both working in the National Press Building. The rumors were that the press building was also under attack. And so that was pretty scary thinking, you know, we could be leaving our kids orphans. Imagine having the kind of job where you always have to run toward rather than away from danger. That's the kind of job Karen McPherson had on 9-11. But that day changed everything for Karen. Her story in a moment. First, here's Sean Hannity to introduce you to our new podcast, On the Job, From Hired to Retired, brought to you by Express Employment Professionals. Hey, jobs connect us to our community and allow our families to thrive, and jobs reward us, of course, with a sense of meaning and help establish our identity. There are multiple milestones in our employment lives and many types of jobs that we have in the course of a career. Now, look, I've done so many jobs in my life, and each one has contributed to the person I am today. Now, in this podcast, we'll dig into the stories of men and women at work. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Express Employment Professionals, who over the past 34 years have put millions of people to work in meaningful and fulfilling jobs and careers. 
If you're looking for work or want to grow your workforce, just go to ExpressPros.com. Look, the bottom line is most businesses are too busy just trying to get over gulping water every day and competing, especially with big government taxes, bureaucracy, regulation. Well, the important thing is when you need great employees, well, that's where Express Pros can always help. At any given time, there are 5.5 million jobs open in America. So let Express Pros help connect you to your next job. Now, there are never any fees with Express Employment Professionals not to help you find the work you want or while you're working for us. Now, Express is locally owned, connected to the top employers in the community. You're listening to On the Job, From Hired to Retired, brought to you by Express Employment Professionals. I'm Steve Mencher. Karen McPherson wanted to be a journalist her whole life, and she had found steady and meaningful work in that profession until the day she realized there was one thing more important than her success in the newspaper business. But we're getting ahead of the story, which starts, ironically, as you'll see, with a children's book called Harriet the Spy. Harriet the Spy had a very interesting life, taking notes and spying on her neighbors and friends, and uh, then sort of writing things up. And she, at one point, ends up being part of the newspaper at her school. And I thought, wow, that's so interesting. And I had thought that I wanted to be a writer, and my mother, ever practical, would say, you know, you need to think of something, a kind of writing, if you are interested in writing, that you can make a living from. And I thought, well, in this book, there's this newspaper. Now, she's just, it's just a school newspaper. But that started me thinking about newspapers in general. So it was about then that I started thinking that I might want to be a newspaper reporter. Talking about her work got Karen thinking about her dad's career. She imagined that his parents had a path picked out for him. He was a rather wild and crazy person. He went to Catholic high school and was um, destined by his parents. They decided he would be the priest. His older brother was going to be the doctor. To be a priest, he'd have to get through seminary. And it wasn't very long. Before he was kicked out for drinking and women. So <laughs> so I think the army and the paratroops particularly was a good place for my dad. Because you can do that kind of sort of wild and crazy stuff, but it's for the army and it's, it's uh, sanctioned. My dad died very young at age 52, and uh, toward the end of his life, he really came to the conclusion that he really wanted to be doing something different, so he actually changed careers at the end of his life, and he became a teacher, a high school teacher. Now, tell me about your mom. Did she work outside the home? Did she have a profession? Did she go to school for something in particular? Yes. My mom actually was one of the original people working, at least in my neighborhood, working outside the home. She At, the, at one time, she was the only one working outside, the only mom working outside the home. Um, my mother had taken one year off uh, when I was born, and um, my father basically said, you need to go back to work. My mother was a teacher. And she started, she loved teaching high school, but um, as she had me and then later my sister, she ended up teaching kindergarten for a while because there was really no daycare near us because most moms were home. If your mom was the only one working Mm. outside the home, did the other wives look at her askance or do you have any sense of any of that? Oh, yeah, definitely. uh, My mom was regarded as sort of an oddity and she, it was a little hard for, I think it was hard for her. It was a little hard for me. And then later, some of the women in that neighborhood started uh, going out to work for pay and and things. It wasn't like they weren't working. They just were working in the house. And certainly that was regarded as, as, uh, you know, what women should do at that time. As Karen went through school, first high school, then college, she was on the path to becoming a journalist, something she'd longed for since her Harriet the Spy days. 
Her path was clear. From Trinity College in Washington, D.C., she'd go to the most respected journalism school in the country, Columbia University. But there was one small problem. There was a lot of uh, competition to get in. And in fact, um, I missed a sort of one step in that when I was in college, that's when the Watergate hearings were held. And there was Bernstein and Woodward. And everybody wanted to be a reporter. Carl and I were on the Metropolitan staff. And when we were first told that looks like the dimensions of this are greater, that there'd been wiretapping, maybe lives were in danger. Carl said, we've got to go see Bradley. Skip the chain of command totally. And you called him at 2 a.m. at home. We have to come see you. That's Bob Woodward in 2011 talking about Watergate and his work with Carl Bernstein at an event commemorating the 35th anniversary of the film All the President's Men. The discussion took place at the Harry Ransom Center, University of Texas. Bradley is Ben Bradley, at the time the executive editor of the Washington Post. And so we go to his house, and he comes to the door in his jammies, or a bathrobe or something, and then we say, you can't. We can't talk in the house. We have and to come looks out like on the lawn. like we're totally crazy. Right. And it was, you know... In, in the middle of the night, are you going to take me out on the lawn in my underwear? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you kind of think, is he going to call the guys with the white coats mm-hmm. to have these guys hauled off? And we, start t- we tell him that this is all going to explode. You know the rest. Ben Bradley and post owner Catherine Graham backed the reporting duo the Watergate hearings, Deep Throat. Suddenly, it was as if everyone was heeding the lessons of Harriet the Spy, wanting to write things down and change the world. So my little clear path of me going into Columbia was almost disrupted because I remember the dean of students at Columbia saying to me when I interviewed with him that while you certainly would be a perfect candidate, but now we're thinking about letting people who have never had any interest in journalism are suddenly inspired because we feel like that's important too. And I remember just being crestfallen that that might, like, somebody like that might take a place for me when I really had wanted this all, you know, for all these years. But there was competition for sure. Now, let's talk a little bit more about Watergate because it must have inspired you as well. There is a generation of reporters Unfortunately, they're getting, well, for better or worse, they're getting a little older now, (laughs) who were impelled to go into Mm -hmm. journalism by Watergate. Right. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Vice President Ford will be sworn in as president at that hour in this office. You know, kids throw around the word, my kids, awesome all the time. And I remember feeling this incredible awe. That I will not be here in this office. Bob and I were in the office, and we watched that speech. And the the post handed out bologna sandwiches for those who wanted to stay that night. Remember, Catherine. The first thing, uh, Catherine Graham came downstairs, and she said, "No gloating." Let me tell you, there was no reason to gloat. It was a moment of such awe that 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 the system the system had worked and we had been a part of that working, uh, and the right thing had happened. 
you know, Woodward and Bernstein became kind of heroes, but what specifically about what they did, do you think, made people want to go into the newspaper business? People found that there was a way of truth-telling that they hadn't really seen before. I think that for many people, and I would say myself included, it was exciting to see that something you wrote could actually make this kind of thing happen. And all this drama and, you know, some tragedy and uh, and all, it's just... It's just compelling uh, in that way, the way that the story came about. And I, it, for me, because I was already in Washington, D.C., I could go to some of the hearings. And in fact, with some teacher's blessings, they would say, yeah, let's just skip class and head off to the hearings. You could hang out in the back of the room, whatever. And to see that up close and in person was, was pretty amazing, frankly. And then the personalities. The per- for me, the personalities was inter- were very interested. Why did somebody you know, want to do what they did in Watergate? And then how did somebody like Bernstein Woodward, who in some ways just sort of fell into a lot of this, it's almost, I don't know, like a Greek drama that was happening right in front of us. So I think that really helped um, interest a lot of people. American 11, climbing table level 350. If Watergate brought tons of people into journalism, the other headline story of Karen's generation happened on September 11th, 2001. Nobody moved. Can you look out your window right now? Yeah. Can you can you see God about four thousand feet, about five east of the airport right now? Looks like he's yeah, I see him. Okay, Fox, this is what this is what I foresee that we probably need to do. We need to talk to FAA. We need to tell them if this stuff's going to keep on going. We need to take those fighters, put them over Manhattan. There is a report of black smoke in the in the last position I gave you. Good evening. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. Karen McPherson was on the job that day and on September 12th, too. My editor said I want, we want, they wanted me to go into the Pentagon and get the story in there. So the metro into the Pentagon was closed, so we had to take a bus to the outskirts of the Pentagon. And as I was walking from the bus to the, through the parking lot, people were running, t- dozens of people running towards me away from the Pentagon because there was a rumor, again, that it was under attack. And it was sort of like at that moment I thought, you know, I'm not really sure why I'm doing this. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of journalists who are writing the same story right now um, about 9-11, and why is it that I should be jeopardizing my family for this? And I also, the other part of this is, to in fairness to my employers, if you are a reporter and you are really committed, you run toward danger. That's the nature of the business. And I decided I just really didn't want to do that anymore. It wasn't important to me to do that anymore. So that's when I started thinking about it. Um, and that day, I'll just say it was a very eerie experience because I did end up, obviously, that was a false rumor. And I did go into the Pentagon and where I had been. And you know, it's like a city over there. And I was wandering around corridors where there was no one, no one. And it was a, it was an eerie feeling. So that sort of added to my feeling that I'm just, you know, I just don't think I should be here. Now, let's unpack that just a little bit. Uh, you're off. It's it's nine eleven. It's the day you're not working. Mm-hmm. You 
how did you first get news that there were these airplanes crashing into the World Trade Center? Well, my husband was also a reporter, and he was at work, and he said uh, he, he called me and said, turn on the television, and something awful is happening. And that's how I first saw. And then my uh, bureau chief called and said, we need you in here. You, you say you didn't really have a choice, but you did have a choice, didn't you? I mean, obviously, you loved your job. You, you were used to responding. You were used to that person telling you, you know, what you needed to do. Um, but you did have a choice. I guess I had a choice, but I didn't feel like I had a choice because my job was the one that we had. Our, we were all on my job, my health benefits on, for my job. And I wasn't sure, you know, what would happen if I didn't go in. And, you know, it just. You, I think in, in an emergency like that, you just think, okay, I'll go in. And I knew that we did have a good friend who would take care of the kids and would make sure that they did not see the things on TV and I think, you know, would, would comfort them and would be with them. So I, I wasn't too worried about the kids at that point. I was worried about the press building thing. And before I went into the press building, I, I did understand, I did hear from somebody just outside that that had been a rumor. So I felt okay about going in, but still. <laughs> the adrenaline must have kicked mm. in at some oh, point. Sure. And the, yes. also... yes. You know, the journalist part of you must have kicked in and said, I have this job to do. This is obviously the biggest story of my lifetime. Definitely. I mean, I think that was definitely part of it. You're right. The adrenaline does kick in. And, of course, you know, what was heartbreaking, I mean, it was so hard to cover because, you know, my story is nothing compared to what people whose loved ones died and what's the suffering that happened that day. It's incredible to think of, do you know, and I think, you know, you just, you just, in a way of responding to it as a reporter, you just, your only response is basically to try to bring out the story and maybe hope it doesn't happen again. What did you write that day? What was what was important to the folks that you were writing for that day? Basically, it was an atmospheric piece. I talked to people who were still working there. Um, I, you know, and then it was also, I remember there was an element, there's a daycare uh, Pentagon daycare, and there was a. I remember trying to find more information about that. I don't think I, f- I was able to find too much information about that, but luckily that wasn't not in the line of attack. Good morning in different languages, and see if you can hear me with your ears. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Good morning. So that was English. Let's try Spanish. Here we go. One, two, three. Buenos dias. Let's try French, my other language. One, We're going two, to take a short break. And when we return, Karen's decision to go back to school, her new career, how it meshes with everything she's done up until now, and how this chapter of her life is different from the one that put her in harm's way. You're listening to On the Job, From Hired to Retired, brought to you by Express Employment Professionals. I'm Steve Mencher. If you are searching for a job, Express Employment Professionals can help. Access free video training on what skills are in demand in today's job market, resume writing, interview tips, and more. Visit ExpressPros.com slash JobGenius. You can become a job genius today. ExpressPros.com slash JobGenius. Express is on a mission to put a million people to work each year. Let us help you. Get informed with the Job Market Forecast, part of the free Job Genius video series from Express Employment Professionals. Watch it now at expresspros.com slash jobgenius. Welcome back to On the Job, From Hired to Retired, brought to you by Express Employment Professionals. 
Karen MacPherson is now the children's librarian at the Tacoma Park, Maryland Public Library. Her decision to try a new career was accelerated by the feeling that her job as a reporter put her in danger sometimes, and that her role as a member of her family was more important than the glory of continuing to face that potential danger. In order to make the switch, she needed to go back to school. It took me five and a half years to get my master's degree, which is a long time. Um, I had to get permission to go for that last half of a year because you are supposed to have gotten your degree by five years. But they did give me permission because I just needed to take one more class. So now, what are one or two of the the classes that that you did take, especially ones that might have been of, of the highest interest for you? Right. Okay. Well, I have to tell you, when I first and like many people who go to library school at first, you're thinking, oh, books and all that. But it's, it's these days, it's mostly technology. It's it's called information studies, information science. But the classes I like the best, of course, were uh, I took a class in children's literature. Uh, that was an elective. I took a class in young adult literature, uh, another elective, and then the one that I, when I switched tracks partway through, uh, it was children's services in the public library. And that was probably the most important class I took because it, it really related directly to what I do now. Remember, you're the milkshake. Here we go. You take a little milk, pour some milk, and you take a little cream, pour some cream, you stir Eventually, Karen figured out where her main interests were, and she headed down the path she's on now. Guys, ready? No, now, just to look backwards over your shoulder a little bit, the... The years in which this is happening, and starting with your interest in 1990, going through 9-11, up to the current time, approximately, I, I've read, 60% of newspaper jobs in the country went away. Yes. yes. And so was that any part of your decision-making process, that looking around and, and thinking that this is not a growth opportunity here? It was starting to be as I as I was continuing through school, but more toward the end of it, because I guess I always felt that, well, I could get a job because of all the experience I had as a newspaper reporter. But, <laughs> you know, it turned out that, you know, my job did go away and the jobs were not that easy to uh, as a journalist and it, they're not that easy to get. Circle time is a very different thing than story time. Circle time is when you have a group of kids, usually a pretty large group of kids and adults, and the kids are anywhere from birth through age five. So you don't, there's no way, if you're having 50 or 60 kids and adults in a space, there's no way that you can have everybody sit and quietly read books, a book that's going to work for everybody. It's just not going to happen. So the idea of circle time is that you are doing a lot of kinesthetic learning with your body. And you're learning rhymes and you're doing finger plays and songs. And that is all very valid ways to learn um, early literacy concepts and sort of building on that. Even a baby you're doing this and they are getting you're getting your baby ready to read we know that now from the the brain research you 
So Circle Town becomes a, a very community building thing, but we are also learning and helping our kids get ready for reading. And it's not just the kids who are learning, the adults are learning how to do this kind of thing with their child or the children they care for. We have a number of caregivers who come to Circle Time as well. When I first started this job, I really didn't quite understand how much of a performer I had to be. I mean, I sing, I dance. I speak, you know, I, it's, a, it's a whole thing. That I, I was used to being a reporter and asking people questions, and they were the performer, basically, in that sense. And here I am now, up on the stage, whatever, and I've become a public persona, uh, because as, as as children's librarians are everywhere in any community, they're, they be you know you walk down the street and you see little kids and they're like oh there's Miss So and So, yeah you are a, you you are a public persona. So when you're most philosophical, yes, how do you how do you see your role? Well, I guess I see my role as sort of a guide or a shepherd, perhaps, maybe, sort of shepherding both the kids, uh, and, and at first, kids and their adults, their grown-ups, um, and then later on, more the kids, you know, into um, sort of the world of books, the world of ideas, uh, and then sort of empowering them to sort of become their best person out in the world and to, and to, to grow. I feel like it's a gift. Uh, and a huge responsibility that to be, you, if you do it right, I mean, you can really have a, have an impact on the next generation. Over there. Is he following me? Oh, my goodness. Well, who else are we going to see on this walk? Okay. Now, do you have a timeline about uh, retiring from this role? I know you live in this community uh, nine miles from the White House uh, where we're sitting, where all of the people in town who are, have government jobs are starting to retire, uh, lots of friends, I'm sure, and other people that you know. What does all of that look like for you? Well, you know, I haven't. I've, I have thought about it a little bit, but I love my job so much. It's hard. You know, I'm not, I still have a few years before turning 65, and I feel like... I feel that I really enjoy it so much that I don't want to stop. I do see a lot of my friends who've worked in the same career for so many years. They're tired and they're ready to retire. But I actually had sort of 10 years ago, I got to change careers. And that has given sort of new life to my interest in my, you know, in what I'm doing. At the same time, I realized, you know, we all have a finite amount of time here on the earth. And it's like, well, I don't want to miss my opportunity to have some time totally to myself with my husband and family and travel and do things like that. So I'm still it's still in the future. I'm still very much weighing, you know, what I would do. But I feel like I have to be smart and think about some kind of an end date at some point, because I do feel like I might run out of time before that. What would you do if the boss came in today and said, geez, we've gotten some bad news from the city council. Uh, We're not really able to have a children's librarian anymore. What would you do? Wow. I guess I would say, I would say, let's Let's figure out how we can convince them otherwise. <laughs> Give me some advice. I'm, I'm someone who has had a career. I'm in my 40s, maybe early 50s. 
the career I have, I realize is not the exact thing that I really want to be doing. How do I get started going toward the light, you know, going toward that place where you are at, where where one could say, gosh, she's really doing what she wants to do, and I, I envy that, and that's what a great place to be. Right. I guess I would think about, I start by thinking about what you like to do that make, that gives you happiness and fulfillment uh, that your job currently is not. And so what's that? What is that? So for me, way back when, that was children's literature. I was writing that. I was doing that as a sideline. So that was what, and I, I like working with kids. So, okay, so what careers, what could you do with that? And start sort of researching things. You might work with a, a career coach. Some I know some people who've done that recently. And uh, then I guess I would start, once you decide what you're interested in, then start thinking about, well, okay, how could I do that? What are the obstacles towards doing it, for example, you know, having to still work and go to school and then see how you could get past those obstacles or at least get over those obstacles. Also, be willing to take help in any form from your friends and family. It really, it does take a village. It took a village for me to get, to change careers, to get this master's degree. And I, you know, really looking at it, um, at, at first, I wasn't sure I could do it. I was pretty daunted by the idea of having to get another master's, but I, with a family and working. But you can do it if you, I think you just need to accept help. And I also do, I think you have to be realistic about how hard it may be. Very good, very good. That's all for this edition of On the Job, From Hired to Retired, brought to you by Express Employment Professionals. Find out more at expresspros.com. This podcast is produced by Steve Mencher for Mensch Media and Red Seat Ventures. Find us on iHeartRadio and iTunes, where we hope you'll leave a nice review. That helps other folks find us. And, of course, you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Hey, if you want a firearm that is easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. Now, it is a portable rifle that you can put together, take apart in just minutes, and then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case that it comes in. It's so small, you can store it pretty much anywhere, and it's light enough to carry everywhere. Now it comes in black and two different camo patterns, and you can pick one up for three to four hundred bucks depending on the finish. Check out their videos. Go to their website. It's one word, henryusa.com slash survival. And while you're there, make sure you order their free catalog. Now Henry makes more than two hundred rifles and shotguns and revolvers, all made in America, all backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website, henryusa.com. Get their free catalog. They'll send you free decals and a list of dealers where you are. That's henryusa.com. Free catalog decals for the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. You know, since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, they have been committed to improving the lives of Americans' vets, first responders, and their families. Now, for over 20 years, the foundation has helped America keep its solemn promise to never forget. Now, Tunnel to Towers provides mortgage-free homes to Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders with young children. They build specially adapted smart homes for catastrophically injured vets and is working to eradicate veteran homelessness. Now, Dave Marshall served in the Army during World War II and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. 
Now, he has never forgotten the sacrifices of his comrades in arms, nor the efforts of first responders on 9-11 and in the days and months that followed. He is a loyal and proud foundation donor. Tunnel to Towers is committed to supporting our vets, first responders, and their families, and there are so many of them that need our help. Please join the foundation on their mission to do good and never forget. Just commit $11 a month. You can do it by going to their website, the letter T, the number two, the letter T.org. That's the letter T, the number two, the letter T.org. A new dawn is coming to the U.S. stock market, and it's time to throw out the investment blueprint of the last decade and prepare for a massive shift. If you've lost money over the past two years, this changes everything. Hi, my name is Mark Chaikin, and I was hired to create three new indices for the NASDAQ based on what I've learned in 50 years on Wall Street. So believe me when I tell you this shift could send dozens of stocks soaring sky high in just the next 90 days. But this is an extreme setup I haven't seen in years, since before the 2020 crash. The last time this happened, you could have more than tripled your money by just owning one stock. And I'm revealing this number one stock to buy today. 100% free of charge at newaistock.com. The question is why? Because everyday Americans will be impacted mostly by what's coming. And I want you to be on the right side of the table when this shift happens. Don't delay. Just visit www.newaistock.com. 